It was in the end of July 1891 that one fine morning we managed to muster our retinue and make a fair start for the famous Low Country. We halted for breakfast at Akabamba, only six miles from Tarma, from which we'd been rather late in starting. Akabamba is a beautifully situated but decaying hamlet, with about 1,500 rather seedy-looking inhabitants, where not long ago there'd been more than double that number. Every second house is in ruins, and what had doubtless been trimly kept gardens are now scenes of desolation. I accomplished the feat of scrambling through the straggling fence, and beneath a jungle of real red roses were violets scenting the morning air, and many other exotics as far from home as myself. The tipple here is appropriately called chicha, made from fermented maize and similar to the ale from which raw grain whiskey is distilled. The padre, we are told, not unfrequently joins his flock in their drunken orgies. Indeed, the so-called church festivals seem to have degenerated into blasphemous ribaldry, enough to make one shudder. We'll just do a quick kind of thing of where we are. We kind of reached Akabamba, which is where they made their first stop after Tama probably a bit earlier than, than we've made it. Yeah, I think he says six six miles from Tama on the mule and they said they had an early breakfast um, because they hadn't managed to get breakfast in Tama because maybe they left early. And when they came into this piazza, plaza, where we're sitting now under the palm trees, which apparently are quite old and some of the palm trees might have been not, not long after mm. Arthur, he found the cantinas were open and the... Uh, priest was sitting at the bar with the locals drinking and Arthur was very interested in some of the houses. They found a lot of the houses were ruined and he describes them as ruined and I wonder after what we've seen if it was a fact they just were not built, finished in the, in the local fashion. You know you buy the land and you start to build a house and if you run out of money you just wait. And I think a lot of what Arthur was describing as abandoned and lost were probably houses in progress. But yeah. he climbed over a fence, which he thought was a bit naughty, into somebody's garden and, and found a really beautiful collection of flowers and got into conversation. So he kind of uh, approved of Akabamba and the gardens and disapproved of the local inhabitants drinking that early and the priests drinking with them. But it's got a nice atmosphere now. Yeah, it's got a nice, nice feel to it quite a small place. Do you have um, a feel yet yourself? Because now, more than the beginnings of our journey, because by going by railway to Huancayo, we were coming off Arthur's route, we detoured a bit, and in the interim we took in lots of other things. Now we're actually directly on the route he took down towards the Perenne. Do you, uh, do you have a sense of picking up on his journey? Um, yes, I feel like he's, he's with us on this, on this part of it. Um, you can imagine him being here. Um, we're probably doing very similar roads. But and, we uh, stopped off along the way in something like a sort of open-air Spitalfields Market where there were huge sacks of all kinds of colours of potato and Lucho, our guide, was buying some Hessian sacks for his coffee. And then we saw immensely strong men carrying these gigantic potato sacks up gangplanks into the backs of lorries. Because there's a, there's a price for just filling the entire lorry. 
and the weight of the, those sacks is incalculable because they are, they are massive and they're rammed to the top with potatoes. And then when we were out on the road, not today but previously, we used to see the big potato lorries with the farmers sleeping on the potatoes on top of the lorry. Did Lucio say there was something like 2,000 different types of potato? It was a Lucio's huge number. <laughs> there's, a, there's a potato, sort of a deep storage centre for potatoes, yeah, yeah, which potato, has the, the plants for everywhere, every kind of potato in the world. And if your potato crop failed, you can come and, come and check in and draw these plants out of the bank. Uh, and, and Arthur was very keen on the potatoes and was there was one particular I'm not sure which one it was it's in the book he wanted to import into Scotland he thought it would do very well there the potato will never look the same potato no um, I, I won't ever be happy with just one kind of potato on a plate but I think I probably have seen enough tubers of all sorts <laughs> by the time we finish uh, they, because they, every meal, they kind of advise you not to eat lettuce because it's yeah. always washed in water and we ate on a, on a stall in the market yesterday and I saw the gallon, there was a plastic gallon uh, keg of water and it was, she was tipping it out and it was absolutely brown. It looked like it had been swilled out of a sewer. So I, what, you know, what were the w vegetables were washed in, I don't know, but it, it just hadn't had any effect so far. And the, the meat portions you get are gigantic. So a, a bowl of food is really for somebody who's going to spend a day carrying sacks of potatoes around. Yeah, I'm not sure. So have, you, have you finished a meal yet? No, I like the breakfasts. Like the breakfast. Sometimes I have. Can you manage my, the pudding? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Pudding, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yogurt, fruit, and chocolate cake is my <laughs> is my diet. I like the tea. There was like a chamomile and celery tea. But yeah, yeah, I just think what water well, that was made with. I don't know. Like coca tea with the leaves when you you fill the the whole cup up with these leaves and then top it up with water and I find that really good I, I could do with that at home it would really set you up for the day I wonder what they ate for breakfast when they were here not, not, not a great deal I don't I think they were a bit disappointed the food food was just basic survival food and they obviously carried a lot of tins with them because when they got down to the jungle they were, or, or when they were one what next place down the road here where they stayed in a in a terrible shack for the night where they all had to sleep on the floor with a bunch of ruffians of the road and Ross sat up all night with his cocked revolver ready to go but they were pleased to survive and all that was left to eat was was one tin of sardines and Arthur was too tired and too sulky I think he describes it as from the nature of the journey that day to even bother to eat at all just try to fall asleep on the floor mm. but we're on the road now I mean we're, the night, yeah, yeah, I, we're, we're really the right picking up momentum and, and connecting with the towns that he connected with yeah. and seeing that unlike his prophecy because he said this is a half ruined town and very soon it'll be completely abandoned it's gone the other way quite, because they found a well miracle yeah. they've, got a, they've, got oh, a, yeah, yeah. they've got a saint up on the hill That's they've got true. a Miraculous, which is a Catholic Church's bit of good business. I mean, generally they picked up a place that was important to the earlier Andean religions and then decided they would make their own shrine of it, adapted whatever the local story was, and turned it into a Catholic miracle, which the Andean people were happy again to pick up on and, and reconvene in their own style and make something of.
And I think that's what's happened here, and it's the church has given it a boost. I mean, the church in Akambamba, was it? No, it was the church. We were, we were, we were right back in, in, in Tama. Tama when yeah. you went into the church to do your accounts, which I thought was quite funny. <laughs> so he was just sitting well, there the, working out. It was the out. quietest and I thought maybe safest place to check, check my money. <laughs> I wouldn't say the Catholic church is a safe place to check your money. That's Arthur talking. <laughs> Steeper and steeper became the descent. We preferred Shanks's mare to the already tired mules. Narrower and narrower became the gorge until it culminated in two tall cliffs many hundred feet high, leaving only room for the now raging river and a very narrow path between. Once through this, the valley opens out and the vegetation assumes a more luxuriant aspect. Our aneroids indicate an altitude of 2,650 feet and the moist, steamy heat tell us that we are truly in the tropics. Down to the cloud forest, down to the low jungle and then finally again to the other side of the Atlantic. So in the moment we are beginning of the cloud forest, we are about 900 meters high, getting just to San Ramon and then to La Merced, which is only 750 meters. Wednesday, July the 3rd. I feel like I'm getting my breath back after descending from altitude and I feel stronger. After a night on the edge of the jungle in La Merced, we set off to find the convent of San Luis de Chuaro. It was here the expedition had letters of introduction to the Catholic priest, Padre Sala, who was to help them with the next stage of the journey. Padre Sala had established his mission in 1888. Colonisation at the time Arthur arrived was part of the Peruvian government's efforts to occupy and take control of the region, and new colonists and large landowners were settling in. Padre Sala's mission was to bring back converts from the indigenous tribes. Accounts indicate these were often children, outcasts suspected of witchcraft. Where there was life-threatening sickness or death in a tribe, a child witch, often a young girl, would be identified to take the blame. And her life was then in danger. I'll start again. Yeah. Our aneroids indicate an altitude of 2,650 feet. And moist, steamy heat tells us that we are truly in the tropics. The district is called Chanchamayo which for 20 years a number of Frenchmen and Italians have been trying their hand at coffee, indigo and sugarcane growing. It must be confessed with very indifferent success. But these men have been sent out without any previous training. There's a splendid specimen of chinchona, we said to the planter, pointing at a tree near his bungalow. What, he said, I've been here 15 years and I never knew I'd been cutting down and burning chinchona trees. In Chanchamayo, we learnt that the convent of San Luis on the borders of Chuncho country was 25 miles distant. 
and we had letters of introduction to the chief priest there after resting for a day in a house of a hospital hospitable Frenchman we eagerly pitched well, onwards. We are now arriving in. Okay. Oh, we're, oh, we're arriving. We're arriving with the uh, the French house now. All right. <laughs> Shall we? Frenchman. Let's go and visit the hospitable yes, Frenchman. Okay. Right. Okay. We'll leave the rest then for the moment. Okay. <laughs> That's extraordinary. <laughs> that was a bit. We take a look around the French house, and it resonates with Ian. It's French um, estate where they stay, you know, before going off into the heart of darkness where there's no turning back. And the last civilised bit is this French estate, which has a nice sort of dreamy quality to it. And this, this, this has just that feeling. So the, the, the two narratives of Conrad in the Congo, which is translated by <coughs> Francis Ford Coppola into the Philippines, is, is um, the exact narrative of Arthur Sinclair doing the same thing, coming down the Perenne. The last outpost of civilization. Yeah. <laughs> Point of no return. <laughs> back in the car, and we're back on the trail. In Chanchamayo, we learnt that the convent of San Luis on the borders of the Chuncho country was, I'm repeating a little bit, just was 25 miles distance. We had letters of introduction to the chief priest there, and after resting a day in the house of a hospitable Frenchman, we eagerly pushed onwards. The trip was getting decidedly more interesting. The scenery and vegetation improved as we proceeded, while the prospect of meeting real Franciscan monks was by no means distasteful, although I have no great leaning towards the Spanish priesthood. Still, I honestly tried to go forward unprejudiced, thinking only of the monks of old and the good they did in their day. But this convent was a revelation to us. We had never seen anything quite so filthy and suspicious looking before and would gladly have escaped within an hour. Indeed did so and began erecting our tent at a safe distance. But were implored not to insult the Reverend Fathers by refusing to accept their hospitality. An infliction which we now bore patiently for several days. We were introduced to a number of chunchos, miserable specimens they were, and more familiar than pleasant, who had left their own country for their country's good, just as a herd of elephants in Ceylon occasionally expel their incorrigible rogues. Mm. So and so and mm. so on. After sundry, rather meaningless postponements, we at length got a start. In Peru, every good work is done tomorrow, mañana, is in everybody's mouth on all occasions. So it doesn't actually give it doesn't give you much of a location, no. no, no. Except that it's just on the borders of the Chuncho country, and I don't know whether Ross is more forthcoming. Okay, I'll have a look at Ross. Alexander Ross's account is a politer version of events. Before dark, we reached the convent of San Luis de Chuaro, where we had been expected and were warmly welcomed by the superior and brothers. An empty room was assigned to us in which to lay our camp beds and other effects, while an attempt to put up our tent, more in the way of practice than for anything else, was met by a hint that it would give offence, the fathers wishing us to accept, while there, such hospitality as they could offer. Meanwhile, back in the present, Ian and I have reached San Luis. And there, in the town square, we find not only the convent, but a statue of Padre Sala himself. And the strange coincidences of the day continue. It is almost as if we have been expected. 
Lucho has come across an elderly lady we can talk to, an old friend of his father, Maria Leon Perez. She is 88 years old, and we can interview her, he says. I hurriedly set up my microphone and we begin, with Lucho translating in a small shop by the side of the road. This convent was uh, founded by Padre Sala, and it was a big uh, place. But uh, on November, on 1947, there was a big earthquake that shaked all the Central Andes, and this was one of the first churches to fall down. And uh, the, the people here made friends with the chunchos, they call it, the natives that are the Amushas from the other side of the river, that they also came here for the service of the mass. So this was a pioneer town. An outbreak of yellow fever led to the town being abandoned by the priests, and our conversation reveals more about the work the Franciscans were carrying out. There was a moment when there was a, an epidemic of yellow fever. So then, you know, that was the time that a lot of people died and also the priests decided to leave. Mm-hmm. So after that, they only went to La Merced, and once in a month, once every month, they would come to do the service here in the church. But it was basically abandoned convent. Mm-hmm. I think Sala went back to be the head of the Franciscan monastery that we went to, we traveled to from Huancayo. He was he was on the wall there as. After oh, yeah, returning after this to go back at the monastery, yes, mm. the possibly, monastery. possibly, yes. I, I, I have seen Padre Sala there, there in the in the monastery of Ocopa, yeah, yeah because uh, you know he had probably knowledge of the missionaries. Well, the missionary, you know, to say the truth, it was a business mm. because they converted the natives, but every native converted was cash in the hand for the priests. So that is the reality, you know. The priest is paid per head. Of yes, exactly. They were paid. Because what I've also read about Sala is he went off into the jungle, almost expeditions, to find people and round up as many as he could and bring them yeah, back. You can see the reason. Because yeah, they also the way that they even almost kind of like made it very welcoming for the kids was because in the one side they would sell the idea that they were rescuing souls for the God and for the Catholic Church. But on the other side, they were cashing from that kind of conversion. We also find out more about Maria herself. She is descendant of a Chinese man that uh, used to have a farm by Capello. Mm-hmm. And uh, being a, a, a business person, he used to take uh, tobacco, wrap it and made it into a kind of a smoking tobacco. And he would go to Pampa Wally to sell it there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Y esa foto de allá de quién es? La que está con el dedito. Es mi mamá. 
That's the mother. Look, no, the Chinese mama. features you can see much more there. After Arthur stayed with the Chinese papa, person. The father of that lady my, was a China my, Chinese yes. man that was selling the tobacco yeah. to the people. He was, he was married. He visited a Chinese person around here. He was, he, they were married to an Indian person. Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe he means a Chinese man. He was married to a person from here. No, era de Huánuco. De Huánuco era mi abuelita. Okay, the, he Pero married a person from Huánuco, a very different area from here, but also is in the, in the si beginning of the jungle. The Padre Sala got them married here in this town. Uh, it's it's well it's possible they could have been part of the same the same the same family that uh, my great great grandfather visited maybe. Oh, she's in charge of the church. Podemos ir a ver? Oh, you're in charge of the church? Yeah, we can go we can to have the a look at Wow, amazing. Yes, amazing luck you have, man. Uh, yeah. You, you are just lucky, you see? Everything opens really yeah. nicely. Yeah. You have to ask the right questions, be in the right place. Come, there is a part of the convent here. Oh, a part, a part of the original it convent? Was, it was uh, where it was set. Oh, wow. All this was the convent in this part here. All this was the setting of the convent. Two floors. Two floors there was here. In this bed here, there was a place for lodging. Yes. Yes, because they lodged in the... Mm -hmm. Anybody that would come, they would be welcome here. They would take the mules up the hill and then they would just, uh, you know, rest here. It was always a welcoming place. We walk out into the garden and we can see the foundations of the original convent and know we are standing on the exact same spot that Arthur slept all those years ago. Arthur found the whole convent so squalid when it's only a couple of years old because it was founded in 1888 and immediately decides that he wants to camp outside instead until they persuade him this is really rude and they, mm. they go back inside. So I think he, he really undervalued the consequence of, of Sala, who was obviously really a major, major figure in the Franciscan order and in the whole episode of, of rounding and converting children from the jungle. By nightfall, we have made it as far as Lucho's farm, hidden away in the cloud forests of the high jungle, and sit listening to the golden-tailed birds and reflect on the strange events of the day. On the wall, as a confirmation that you got to the right place, was FS for Farn Sinclair. Or Father Sella. <laughs> or both. Some handprints. Yeah. And uh, a, a cross, just uh, very faint on the wall. So I think you know, the FS means that Father, Father, Father Sala and Farn Sinclair fuse at this point in this garden where there was a machete, an old rusty machete was sticking in the ground, and there was a a stand with the little holes for candles, as if there was a, a church or a convent. There's nothing there, just a garden, an old ruin of a garden and some foundation. So it was really wonderful. And to be shown it by this ancient Chinese woman was a terrific experience. And I think, you know, the deepest confirmation that we're, we're doing something that's on the right track. And what happens, and it's happened many times when I'm walking with Anna, is that some 
curious old lady will always pop up at the time <laughs> you really need it. Really? We, we, yeah. We were, always we, an old lady. Always an old lady. We were on a walk from Hackney to Hastings trying to find our way and we got we got completely lost near Seven Oaks where we'd come through Knoll Park and then we were we were in the big area of woodland didn't know which way was the right way to connect and we'd gone we'd gone off our track and suddenly a little lady kind of popped up out of nowhere from behind a bush who said I'm just clearing up all the rubbish here. and you know I think you this is the way you want to go yeah Sure enough, that was the way we want to go. And that's happened no, numerous times. I can't tell you how many times. And it's no, always an old lady. Somewhere in Wales when you're trying to find the way down in the gap, was it gap? No, to, to, the, to the cave somewhere. Oh, I can't remember. Yes, exactly. Exactly uh, the same thing happened there. I'd wanted for years to get to the Pavilion Cave where supposedly the, the Red Lady of Gower was buried. Turned out to be a man. But um, very hard to get into this cave. You you. you you can't, you can see even, it took me years to find even the right gorge down to go. I finally got that and you come around a headland and there's a cave perched right up on the cliff. And I just come to a dead end at the end of the the crag and um, it would be a huge drop down to the sea. Couldn't do that. I tried to crawl across the cliff. I really was getting too hairy and was going nowhere. And so I came back to her and I was sitting by a star and a woman had, turned up out of absolutely out of nowhere and said oh I'm, I'm going into the cave I'll show you the way and if you followed her there was a tiny crack of over very sharp rocks you could zigzag your way down and you could then climb up a little bit of cliff and you were into the cave but this can only happen on very very few days because the tide has got to be absolutely right out You've got to know exactly how to come down that side bit and you're into the cave because I came back twice with Andrew Cotting to try and film and um, even though it was low tide both times we couldn't we couldn't get down there it was impossible mm. and in the end he just he just jumped off the rocks into the sea and swam across which is incredibly mad and hairy but no normal person could do it and then yet this woman turned up and was also very knowledgeable about the history of the cave and all that had happened there and happened to be the partner of one of the leading uh, experts in the whole field. So do you think that there, um, um, you know, that there are uh, guides who appear to help us in our lives in other situations when we need them? Are there kind well, of, there uh, are, but in the same way that if you were out in the middle of that jungle, there could be, but the thing is, you have to be asking the right questions. It takes it's take a lot for us to be here at that square at this time where this woman could appear and do it. It wasn't just a given. Yeah. <coughs> and it took me um, 50 odd years of walking this section and getting to even find the right piece to be in and to be there even though it seemed to be by accident on the right day when this woman would come at the right time. So, yeah, these these things are there, but you have to do a lot to be in the place, to be where they're going to... Yeah, they're not going to gonna happen for no reason. No, you, 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 have, you, have, you kind of make them <coughs> happen. Yeah, You make them happen, but they can, they can only happen if, you, if you're in the right place, at the right state of time, and you've, you've, you've put in your hours and you've, you've got there. And then they're there to help you, and it suddenly becomes easy. 